We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. child and you want them to get married by the grace of God, would you want them to get married at a virtual wedding or would you want people to attend physically? Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand and I'll be your host. It's a legitimate question today. We're in a virtualized world. Indeed, it seems today like our world is transitioning out of a physical form into, at least in many areas of our life, a virtual form. Now, there are going to be a lot of different ways in which you and I are going to participate in this virtualization. I pay for lots of different things in my daily life with a credit card. I interact with people on email. You're probably hearing this thanks to some form of virtual technology. I don't think you're cranking a gramophone to listen to this podcast right now. And so as a Christian, I am one who uses technology on a frequent basis and to a certain degree is thankful for technology. I recognize that technology flows out of man being made in the image of God, gifted intellectually, creatively, physically, such that we can take dominion of our world in ways that, frankly, to many of us boggle the mind. I mean, how are you listening to this podcast right now? If it was up to me and my very limited set of skills... I would not be able to transmit, create, and publish a podcast. I could not create the technology that would allow me to broadcast the recording of this podcast on any digital media platform. I am not gifted in these ways. What I'm trying to say to you in the barest form is that I really don't even understand electricity, okay? It is true confession time today on The Antithesis. In all seriousness... Our world has benefited in lots of different ways from technological advancement. I am thankful that I can call my wife. I'm thankful that I can call my dad and mom back in Maine. I'm thankful that I can ping in with people on text message at any hour of the day who need an encouraging word or who have a question for me. All sorts of matters like this. As a Christian, I use technology constantly, and I have to reckon with that. But I also, as sleet is hitting my window here in my office in Conway, need to recognize that not every form of technology is going to be positive. Not every development in scientific advances or these sorts of things is going to accord with a Christian worldview. And I actually need to exercise discernment when it comes to technology. This isn't something new. Christians need to think about all of life All of life is under the lordship of Jesus. And so you and I, all our days, need to live in such a way that we seek to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the first commandment. That is the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, 34 to 39. To love your neighbor as yourself is the second commandment. One major way, then, that we love God is we love God with our mind, and one major way that we love God with our mind is to think in a distinctly biblical and Christian way about every facet of our life, at least to the fullness of our ability. Do we hit our limits in this regard? 
Yes. Do we encounter gray areas? Yes. Are there hard questions that frankly sit unresolved for a time? Yes. But we nonetheless, as believers, and that's really what I'm trying to do on the antithesis, need to think as Christians. That's not bonus. That's not extra credit. That's what we must do. Our God has given us a brain and called us to think unto his glory, and so that is what we proceed to do in all our lives, for all our days. So along the lines of virtual weddings or virtual funerals or virtual parenting, we are being encouraged today to think that that which used to be physical, flesh and blood, interactional, in actual time and space before us, now needs to transition seamlessly to a virtualized environment. Every part of our life, in fact, we're told from different angles, can, should, and even must be virtualized. That's just the way the world is going. There's, of course, a big understanding of progress that is behind such a worldview. There is the sense in the air that we breathe that human history is heading to its rightful goal. But I don't mean this in a Christian sense. I don't mean this in a revelational sense. I mean this in a secular sense. That the world is getting better. That technology is leading us to the place of progress endlessly that we need to be. And so it's like we're all on a little boat and we're drifting out to sea and technology is taking us where we don't really know, but that's good. It's good that we would advance to an undefined goal. Progress is taking us to our rightful, secular end. And it's at this point, as a Christian, as a believer, that you start to realize, it really does start to click in, that you have a different way of seeing the world than unbelievers. This is true comprehensively in terms of the Christian worldview and the Christian mind, there's no point at which, in other words, we outsource our thinking to secularism. There may be points where we agree with unbelievers. There are doubtless going to be those points because of God's common grace. And yet, we are not buying into, as Christians, a secular eschatology in which there is an undefined sense of progress that our society operates by. Nobody ever really clarifies where we're headed and yet we are simply told that we are supposed to get in the boat and let it take us where it is supposed to take us. This is all, as I say, in the name of progress. This is all slightly different conversation, but very much related in the name of science. This is all in the name of technology. You've already heard me declare that I am no Luddite. I use technology on a regular, daily, hourly basis. But... You need to think about the presuppositions that I was just touching on. You need to think about the idea that human society, human existence itself, is progressing. You need to think about where our culture and society, where our nations, where our communities at the local level are being led and why. Why such a push for the virtualization of the world? Why is this emphasis seemingly everywhere today? Is the metaverse a good thing? Should you just jump right on board? Because it's something in the world, and if it's something in the world, Christians can immediately redeem it without a second thought. Or should you think about it? Ponder it. Try to discern not just the core idea, okay, there's a metaverse, somebody's created it, but what is behind it? What are the presuppositions that 
operate the metaverse, that have led to the construction of the metaverse. And let me sharpen my point here and narrow in our focus on this brief little humble little podcast episode. Why such a push today for virtual church? We have been told by lots of different angles in our time that there is no difference between physical attendance at church, gathering with the body of Christ, to be more specific biblically, and live streaming church. That is an idea that in the last two years has gone out everywhere, and I do mean everywhere, in the Christian world. It's now basically taken for granted by many that there is no difference between virtual church and what I could call physical church, where you actually go to a place and gather with the saints and worship God through prayer, singing, confession of sin, preaching of the word, observance of the ordinances of scripture, fellowship, and so on. We are now told today that you don't need to do physical church. I'm going to use that phrase and trust that you understand that I've already defined it and will know what I mean by it. Of course, the church is always ordered to spiritual reality. But let's call it physical church because Hebrews 10.25 tells us, of course, that we should not, we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which, of course, in the mind of the author of Hebrews means an actual in-person fleshly gathering, if you will. It doesn't mean send letters to a common location and have someone read them and send good feelings and goodwill toward that location from your heart. Beam it over, if you will. No, it means gather as the church, show up together and worship Christ according to the word of God. Today, though, as I say, the push is not toward physical church. The push is basically all toward virtual church. There's a lot to say about the real virus that has been in our world the last two years. Many of us know that folks have really and truly been affected by that virus. And so that's a discussion in its own right. And we've talked about that a number of times on this podcast. But there is also something else that is very much afoot and has been for the last two years. And that has been the push to transform society, to reset society, to build it back better. And I don't know all the playbook that our global leaders seem to be operating by. I am not privy to the high council meetings of the global movers and shakers who seem, by what I can tell at this point in time, to be trying genuinely to transform the world in a kind of fourth turning, a fourth industrial revolution. Call it what you will. But I can say this. I am very, very troubled by the push to virtualize church. Of course, in terms of tradition, in terms of practice, Christians have gathered as the church for almost 2,000 years. So that is a very significant factor for us. But ultimately, what drives my theology is not the tradition of the church. That has a presence in my theology that has a voice. But what drives my theology is the Word of God, and the Word of God in Hebrews 10.25, as I say, tells me, demands of me, that I not forsake the gathering of the saints in a localized form. That's not an option for me. That's not extra credit. It's not legalistic for me to week after week attend church. 
uh, obedience, as we've talked about previously, is not legalism. Let me just repeat that just so everybody hears it afresh, because these are words that sound strange today, but they're very basic to a biblical way of life. Obeying the Bible is anything but legalism. Obeying the Bible, obeying God, is honoring God, glorifying God, when done through saving faith in Jesus Christ. It is right to obey God. You should always obey what God commands you to do. We're in the New Covenant era, so we are following the teachings of Christ and his apostles, and those teachings are what bind us in this era. So let that be said as well. What is legalistic, then, is to come on top of Scripture and and bind people through a new law that is not found there in the text. Or what is legalistic is to take a biblical principle and then give an application of that principle, an application that could actually be helpful to a degree, but we, we find legalism cropping up when we absolutize our application. Let me say that there's some gray area here because there are some matters that you're not going to have explicitly discussed in Scripture, but we are going to absolutize. For example, we're never going to think that it is a good thing to look at anything pornographic, let's say. So the Bible doesn't say, don't look at a screen that has pornographic images on it. We know that we're not to set before our eyes any unclean thing, though. So when we make that application and we say, don't log on to websites, for example, that would feature pornography, that is an application. We want to be careful about our applications, to be sure. We don't want to be constantly presenting our form of application as if it is absolute. But then there are these instances where we're going to say, okay, the Bible doesn't explicitly say this, but clearly the right application of this passage is that we would not do X. Legalism, though absolutizes my opinions and makes there to be no room in the application of biblical teaching, in the obedience of biblical teaching. I talked about this in previous weeks, but it is obedient to Scripture for a man to have shorter hair than a woman. It's obedient to Scripture as much as she can for a woman to have longer hair than a man. It's a disgrace for a man to have long hair, Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. It is the glory of a woman to have long hair. So there's a strong contrast. So therefore, it's obedience to God. It's obedience to the timeless, true, inerrant, authoritative, and inspired Word of God for us to follow that teaching from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. It is legalistic, however, for me to say, okay— Any hair length for a man longer than three inches is absolutely sinful. There's going to be a point at which we are going to say, all right, that's that's long hair. That's in female territory. Let's not do that. But we're going to be careful, aren't we? We're not going to leap to give a certain hair length and walk around with a ruler as if that's the right way to obey the Bible. That's not the right way to obey the Bible. So that would be an expression of the difference between obeying the Scripture, which is what every Christian must do, and if you don't have that instinct in your heart or if you're kicking against the text, you need to do some self-examination, and you need to see why, as a Christian, you're rebelling against God. And then if that pattern is not just incidental but is seen in other areas of your life, a good number of other areas of your life, you need to start asking if you're truly born again or if you have merely thought you were, but you really have no heart for God. You really want to live the way you want to live and not follow the Lord. So there's a profound difference between 
that kind of discernment, trying to obey the Word of God, and then a legalistic practice that binds people according to man's law. We are not after legalism. But when the Bible tells us to not neglect the assembling together of the body of Christ, that is not legalistic. That is a command from a New Testament teacher that must be obeyed to the fullest possible extent by all Christians, without exception. Are there exceptions, though, such that a person cannot attend church? Yes, absolutely. If somebody is sick, if they're in a tough physical state, then of course we're glad for them to be able to watch a service by live stream. That is not at all what I have in my sights in raising the topic of the virtualization of the church in this podcast. I myself have had to live stream church services. I'm guessing lots of you have as well. And there is no shame, there's no sin in doing so if you are physically unable to go to church. We're actually, this is an instance where we're glad that there is technology that allows people to hear the preaching of the word and follow along with the service and on it goes, even when they are physically unable to, when they're, when they're sick when they're weak, um, uh, when somebody in the family needs care, when uh, a mother has been up over and over again for multiple nights in a row and is frankly exhausted, we are glad for a live stream. So let's be very clear about that. That is not a problem. That is actually a helpful use of technology that we're very glad for. But that's not what most people have in mind when they're talking about virtual church. They are talking about, again, seeing no difference between physical church, as we're calling it, and virtual church. And that is not sound in biblical terms. In fundamental terms, the church is not virtual. The church is actual. The church is composed of flesh and blood redeemed people. And God wants his people to gather in order to worship God according to his word and observe the ordinances on a regular basis. God wants that gathering. God wants that corporate worship. He has told us that he values it. He has made clear that he greatly esteems it. He has indicated that he is richly glorified by it. We thus offer no edit to what God wants desires and commands. If God has said that it is good, it is good. If there's a circumstance where somebody is physically prevented from the corporate gathering of the body of Christ in localized form, we have great understanding for that situation. We love that person. We try to help them in that situation as much as we can. I recall growing up in in Maine, and I recall my dad as a leader in our small Baptist church going to the nursing home on a monthly basis and taking communion to a couple older ladies who, um, who could not attend our gathering uh, of our church. And so my dad took communion to them and had a little service in the nursing home with them that was solemn and serious and really meaningful. And that etched itself on me and showed me the importance of communion. It didn't devalue communion, you understand. 
It actually heightened it. It showed me that this was not something that you take or leave. It's not something that you take lightly. These women wanted to observe uh, the, the, the biblical ceremony, if you will, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. They wanted to remember the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, the washing of sin that occurred at the cross of Christ nearly 2,000 years ago. They were Christians, and they were very serious about Christ and about obeying the Scripture. And my dad was serious about helping them do so. There was nothing wrong in this scene. There was everything right. So there are instances like that where um, we, we have to change things up and people can't attend the gathered service of the church. But we must never let the exception become the rule. Let me repeat that. We must never let the exception become the rule. And that is a problem that is all around us today. Truly today, we're in a context that is under the tyranny of the minority, where if there is an exception to the rule, that exception is taken so seriously that it becomes the rule. It displaces the rule. The majority is led by the minority. There's all kinds of unhelpful outworkings of this principle, but one of them that we can focus on in the area of church and ministry and theology is to say there are some people who are physically unable to come to church, and so we're going to redefine church. Please hear me in the strongest terms. No, we're not. No, we shouldn't. We must not let the world, working from whatever motives it is working, change the biblical doctrine of the church. If you're sick or infirm and you need to live stream church, please have at it. No guilt. Do it. Be edified by it. Praise God for that technology. That noted, gather with the body of Christ, join a local church, become a member of a strong Bible preaching congregation, go week by week as much as you are able, gather with the saints, don't let anyone or anything stop you as much as you can. There will be times, of course, where that's very difficult. There will be times when the roads are icy or snowed in or something like this, and hey, you, you can't gather as the body of, of Christ as you want to and normally would. Of course, we understand these kind of situations. We all should and must. But let's also not let ourselves easily do that. Listen, we're in a soft context. We're in a make-it-work-for-me-at-all-costs context. We're in a lay-down-easily context. And the last two years, in terms of our public response to this virus have only forced this tendency even further, has only sped up the progress of this foul trend, such that if there's almost any obstacle before us, if there's almost any threat, even a hint of a threat, shut it down. We have to have a different posture as men and women of Christ. We can't let setbacks and challenges and real issues in our world rob us of the opportunity to glorify God together. We need to push through, frankly. A lot of us need to cowboy up, if I may. 
We need to find our strength in God, that is. We need to pray for the strength that is not in us. And then we need to trust that God is going to help us. God is going to enable us, as those who are more than conquerors, Romans 8, 31 to 39, to go out and conquer, to go out and take dominion, to go out and gather as the body of Christ. There are all sorts of bad things afoot in our world. There are dangers at every turn. There are risks at hand. There's never going to be a risk-free, dangerless world that you can live in this side of the eschaton. There is no possibility, please hear me, of risk-proofing your life. There is no way for you outside of the return of Christ to not die. So... You and I need to have an appropriately framed, realistic perspective on the world before us. And that's going to mean that we have to push through a horse ton of challenges, risks, and even dangers in order to glorify God as we are called to do as the body of Jesus Christ. Now, I know what some of you are going to say in a comment on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. You're going to say, I agree with you. I vibe with this. I want to live this out, but I have very few options around me. And I want you to know, I'm not your pastor, but I want you to know that as a brother in Christ, I hear you. I am very sorry that this is so. I do not want the world to be this way. I do not want Christians to think that they can virtualize the church. And as an idealistic person myself, I know that I can try to push against the spirit of the age in my tiny little corner of things, and that does absolutely zero to change the world, because I am not God. So I can try to say this and encourage you and even stir you up to love and good deeds in, in a spirit that I, I pray is informed by the Word of God and the Spirit of Christ, but I'm not God, so I can't change it, and I can't smooth your life out, and I can't grip a pastor by the collar and say, get, get active. Open your church. I'm not able to do that. I'm not the God of heaven and earth, and newsflash, I'm not supposed to be. No one wants me to be, and I shouldn't be. So there are real challenges that many out there are facing, and I, I empathize tremendously with those who want a bold spirit among the pastors and elders of the local church, but for a number of reasons are not finding it in their area. I'm sorry that it is so. I know that there are some of you out there who listen to this humble little podcast across the world, and you're in places where you're not within... An hour, two hours, three hours, four hours of a strong Bible preaching church. And I want you to hear me. I empathize. I empathize tremendously. I don't want it to be that way. And when I hear people say such things, share such things on social media or elsewhere, uh, as a Christian, as a brother in Christ, I grieve. And I move to pray, not as much as I should, but I am moved to pray for there to be a flood of sound biblical churches planted and rooted 
in America and across the world so that the sheep, the people of God, will not languish. And I'm glad, let me say this as well, that people who don't have a strong Bible-preaching local church in their area can access videos and audio and even podcasts of Bible teachers. I'm thrilled for that. I'm not on the fence about that. I want you to consume as much sound doctrine as you possibly can. I want you to have an unslakable thirst for sound doctrine. So keep feeding that to yourself. If you can't find a man worth his salt who will open the church and gather the body of Christ because he's he's scared of the government in your area, then yes, continue to feed yourself sound doctrine any way you can. Listen to Vody Bauckham sermons. Listen to Steve Lawson sermons. Listen to John MacArthur sermons. Listen to Grant Castleberry sermons. Listen to Tom Buck sermons. Listen to Josh Bice sermons. On and on it goes. Listen to the Just Thinking podcast. Consume good, sound doctrine by the bucket, by the ton. Gather your family to listen to it. But also, brothers and sisters, wherever you are, pray for a strong church to be formed in your area and seek as much as you can to be a part of that. Put yourself under sound doctrine wherever you can, to the fullest extent you can. Join that local church. Strengthen it. Serve it. Don't come in hot. Don't come in thinking that that church exists to serve you. Join it as a member, knowing that you exist to serve it. So we're in strange days, aren't we? Because here I am trying to take a stand in a very small way for what we call, we could call the physical church, by which I simply mean the corporate gathering of the body of Christ and localized expression. And yet here I am simultaneously saying, if you can't feed on sound doctrine in your area, and I'm pushing you to to work as hard as you can there, even even to the extent of being slightly uncomfortable in a church that maybe doesn't match up with with all your doctrine, but yet is preaching and teaching the Bible, we're going to take that, aren't we, over a, a professing congregation that isn't preaching and teaching the Bible, but perhaps has all sorts of other accoutrements. Interesting French word there that just popped into my mind. And yet, if you don't have a strong local church, do everything you can to get to the strongest one you can, and then, yes, supplement by listening to sound preachers and teachers of the Word of God. Do that with impunity. Our goal, though, our goal is not to be YouTube Christians. Our goal is to strengthen actual congregations in our area, and to have a thousand points of light all over the world. No, a million points of light all over the world. No, a hundred million strong local churches, points of light, that is, all over the world. Lampstands lit by the word of Christ, preaching the gospel of grace, burning brightly in the darkness. That is our goal. That is our goal. So, friends, 
in conclusion, resist the virtualization of the church as much as you can. Don't easily opt out of the gathered body on Sunday. Don't easily opt out of it. Do everything you can to the fullest possible extent to gather with the body of Christ for gathered worship on Sunday. Do all you can. Don't think that sitting at home and live streaming, not out of sickness or something like that, but just out of preference, don't think that that is what the Bible is after. It's not. Local church worship is not about your convenience. It is not about ease. It is not even about your preferences. Our preferences enter in at some level, let that be said. But fundamentally, the local church is not about our preferences. It is about the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is about gathering to praise our Heavenly Father, such a good Father, who has given us His only Son, for our salvation, and has sent the indwelling Spirit to live inside of us. That is what Christian worship is about, and God wants it in embodied form. He wants it until the day Jesus returns. So let us do all we can to give it to him. Let's not virtualize the church. Let's offer our services by live stream uh, for those who cannot attend and for those who want to be blessed by our services who may not be a member of our congregation. I don't, I know there's difference of opinion there. I don't think that's evil either. I take real encouragement in streaming a MacArthur sermon or a Lawson sermon or a Bauckham sermon. On it goes. I take tremendous encouragement from that. I don't want less of that in the world. I want more of that. I pray Christians, in fact, will flood uh, our audio and video channels and days to come with strong, sound doctrine. Let's have way more of that, way more of it, not less. But let's not, to the fullest extent we can, let such glorious content that honors God replace the church. If God wanted a YouTube church, a podcast church, he would have set it up. But he didn't. Let's mainstream virtual church as we mainstream virtual weddings and virtual funerals, virtual parenting and virtual marriage. You can detect the sarcasm already. You should not have a virtual wedding. You should not have a virtual funeral. At least, I really, really hope you don't. You, you don't have to. You must not parent virtually. You must not be married virtually. There are seasons where you may serve your country in the military, for example, uh, where you have to connect with your wife and your children uh, over online technology, let's say. And that's honorable. That's not wrong at all. That's honorable. That's God's call on your life. But that's not the goal. That's not the norm. That's not the rule. We don't want to let possibilities that we have where we could connect with our family when we're on a business trip virtually. I do that. I'm thankful for that. We don't want to let that possibility replace the norm. Me, knowing my children face-to-face, fathering them on a day-by-day basis. I don't want to say, in other words, well, I have the possibility of uh, just, you know, calling them on uh, FaceTime 
So I'll just opt out of flesh and blood fatherhood and uh, I'll call them for 10 minutes a day and, and that'll do the trick. No, a possibility must not replace the norm. An exception must not become the rule to the fullest possible extent. So in conclusion, as I say, let's mainstream virtual church right alongside the mainstreaming of virtual parent. When is the time for that? Never. Never.